name of Jesus. You can be seated. Learn this principle. Very, very few churches seem to have any clue about this. You can't go from pseudo-fellowship, which is really just socializing, to a deep moving flow of the Spirit with the first note. You can't do it. When, when you got socializing, it's not fellowship. When you got socializing going on in the auditorium until the moment the service starts, you cannot have anything but a shallow service. And if it gets deep, you gotta battle the whole service to get deep. Because hungry people don't come in and sit around or stand around and talk. Hungry people come in and get in the spirit. You want to hang around on your time afterwards and talk until daylight, that's your business. But hungry people do not come in the auditorium and laugh and talk and joke and and catch up. Not if they want to have and be a part of a deep move of the Spirit. And some churches, they're trying to sit both sides of the fence. They take all of that prayer and put it in a room someplace so it doesn't embarrass them in front of the visitors. I don't care how good the prayer is in a prayer room. It's virtually, well, it's, it's not as hard, but it's almost as hard to go from socializing in here with prayer going so, on someplace else and then get in the spirit. Well, I, but our guests aren't going to understand that. Not your problem. You know what you're going to tell them with that first off? You're not in a place like every other place. If you're looking for something real, here it is. If you don't want real, now's your time to escape. Not every fish you catch in your net is a good fish. They may help fill up your net, but as soon as you get the net to the shore, you begin to separate the bad from the good. That's what Jesus said. And just because they walk in your building doesn't mean they're candidates for the gospel. And the whole concept of guest-friendly, speaker-friendly church rather than Jesus-friendly church is a lie and deception. I'm not saying we shouldn't be friendly. It's a shame and reproach when any child of God walks past somebody that they don't know and don't recognize and don't speak. I'm not talking about being friendly and courteous, but I mean when you get in and you get to your seat as quickly as you can, you get in the spirit, you move into the spirit. And it's true. Thank God it's true. 
I don't need everybody in the building moving there. I just need the hungry to move there and it will silence everybody else at least. No. If we're going to gather, the first purpose of gathering is to connect with him, move into the place where he can speak. My sons are not clones. There was never any intent to make them clones. They are who they are, who God created them to be, and who he's gifted them to be. But there are certain principles that have been pounded into their head. And you can take that literally if you'd like. Uh, pounded into their heads from the beginning. Those are not your people. It, you have no right to preach or teach them what you think they need. Your responsibility is to become a neutral conduit to allow God to say what he wants to say to his people. It's not your church. They're not your people. It's his church and they are his people. And you're just a conduit. And the audacity to think that you know what's best for them And if you preach to the same exact same hundred people ever service, you will never preach to the same crowd twice. Because every time they come in, they come in as a different person under a different set of circumstances and different things they've been going through. And just because you may know that person as intimately as you could know anybody, that doesn't mean you know them at all. Because our God always knows them on a different level altogether. So my job is not to minister to them. I am not called to minister to God's people. I'm called to be a conduit for him to minister to his people. There's only one shepherd. First Peter 2.25 says, And we have returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. And of course the Greek word there for shepherd is the word that's translated only one time in the King James New Testament as pastor. The other 16, 17 times it's always translated shepherd. But of course we do what we normally do. We take, we take that one word out of the entire New Testament. And we make that the thing. Whoo, that's it. And of course, by using the word pastor instead of shepherd, we can define it like we want to. Put what expectations on it we want to. But if we say shepherd, we automatically understand there's a very specific definition of what a shepherd is. And very few shepherds are taking care of their own sheep. Most shepherds are taking care of flocks that belong to the man. Whoever the man is. That's why there's a chief shepherd. There's a chief shepherd 
who's over the shepherds taking care of the flocks. Because there's only so many people. This is so 10 million miles from where I thought I'd be at this moment, but okay. (laughs) There's only so many people that one shepherd can intimately know and care for. Appears in the Bible that's somewhere around a 100, even though not very many men are able to be truly sensitive to on a consistent basis, even a hundred people. And so, owners of large flocks always break their flocks up into smaller groupings. Always. Because if you don't, the shepherd can't lead them. He has to use dogs to drive them. You drive goats unless you got too many sheep together to have a relationship with them where they will follow you with you in the front. If you're driving your people, you're not in the front. You're in the back. If you're leading your people, you're in the front. That's why there has to be multiple ministries as quickly as possible to help if that pastor will even trust anybody else. You know something? Let me tell you a little secret I learned a long time ago. Don't trust people that don't trust. I never trust people that don't trust. I'll be kind. I'll be polite. But the moment I figure out you're not a trusting person, I don't trust you at all. Why? Because you're treating everybody else like you know you ought to be treated. My sweet wife sometimes calls me gullible. Why? Because I trust first until you convince me I can't trust you. But once you've convinced me I can't trust you, your chances of getting that trust back are really, really slim. Well, don't you forgive? Oh, I forgive. Jesus didn't commit himself to every man because he knew what was in man. Praise God. So, (laughs) you have the dubious distinction of being a part of the last call to war. What are you talking about, Brother Wright? This is the seventh, and the Lord made me known, or has been making me known for a little while now. This is the last one. There will be a meeting that will not be called to war, and it will move to the Tuesday through Thursday, through Tuesday through Friday after Thanksgiving. I don't like that. I can't help it that I don't like it either. That's just when he told me to move it to. What will it be? He hasn't named it yet. I do know this. I will not be the only person involved in speaking in it. 
Who will they be? Whoever he chooses. What's the problem? Our problem is we think once something happens, we're supposed to make that happen forever and ever. Amen. And God always does things for a season. Well, we still need call to war. There are seven call to war online. You can watch every one of them to your heart's content. Okay? There's probably in excess, each call to war probably runs about 20 to 24 hours of teaching and ministry and prayer. And so there's seven of them. So there's seven days worth of stuff you can watch online and learn. But it's time for us to move forward. And we're going to go forward. Last year was a transition. And I said at the beginning, this one, this one was going to be off on the offense. We were going to move on the offense. And uh, that meeting, if I could share just what I feel at this point, it will be a meeting of apostolic people who want to be more apostolic. And we will come together as iron sharpens iron so that we can get closer to him. It will also be a meeting like this. There's a bunch of guys out there that say, I'm their bishop. We're going to find out because I'm only going to bishop those people who come to that meeting. No excuses except death in the family. Because there's some guys throwing around my name that we don't have any connection. And it's not my name that I'm protecting. It's that relationship. Because when they act like, when they say they have a bishop, but they don't act like they've got a bishop, then they undermine the whole concept of spiritual authority. So, my name is of no importance. I'm not trying to protect my name. But, I, but the Lord's name should be sanctified and preserved. Well, that week doesn't work for me. <laughs> I've come to learn this. There's no week that works for everybody. There's not a 53rd week in the year. There's only 52 I, I, I actually, my apologies, brethren. <laughs> my intent was to wait and discuss this, but I, this some of you have been very faithful to this. Uh, I wish your pastors were. Makes me very, very nervous when saints come to something like this without their pastors because you're sincere and you're honest and you want the things of God and then you go home and try to do that and your pastor's not of the same mind as you and then your good and our good ends up being evil spoken of. (laughs) 
And this is probably not going to make some of you happy, and I'm very sorry. But it is possible that the stipulation for attending this meeting, the new one or the next one, will be that you attend with your pastor. It'll be screamed. You can attend it like that. But I so believe in the structure of authority and the necessity of a covering that out of sincerity and we've not checked at the door and we've not asked you for a letter from your pastor so we, we have the meeting and you show up and we pray hope that your pastor has given you permission to come I'll tell you exactly a situation that deeply concerns me. The first call to war, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, who's still also a very good friend of mine, uh, wasn't able to come to the meeting, and he announced it to his people, and he intended to watch it with them and fellowship with them in it, but he wasn't able to do that. And one lady who was (coughs) very close to him and his family, fact had a significant position in this church she wasn't willing to wait on the pastor so she watched this stuff in that first meeting and she started doing it without his knowledge or covering and lost her mind and this was a very intelligent person very highly educated she was no flake she was no weirdo she was considered a very stable person and very close to that family. And she hasn't fully recovered to this day. I actually flew to their church and sat with her at the pastor's uh, invitation to try to help her out of that. But all of that happened because she was participating in stuff without a covering. Satan has no regard for you. You don't bother him at all if you're operating in your own authority Jesus said behold I give you King James power Greek is authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy the adversary and nothing shall by any means hurt you but it all starts with the covering of authority And that covering authority doesn't have to be somebody you chat with every day, every week, every month. But it has to be someone who has spiritually accepted that responsibility, acknowledged that it's not their will or your will, but God's will, and they've accepted responsibility to pray and pray a covering over you every day. So, and no, I do not have to call the name of every individual I'm responsible for every day to pray for them and pray for the covering. How do I know that? Because I'm copying Paul. I'm imitating Paul again. 
He told the Ephesians that he prayed for them every day. I don't believe he called every person in Ephesus' name every day. And yet every one of them benefited by his prayer because he prayed for the church in Ephesus. And he prayed for other churches and ministries. And so, this has all been introductory. It's not where we're going today. But I'm going to do what I was instructed to do. And I'm doing this because if you're an individual of authority here, pastor, father, husband, and you're not praying a daily prayer of covering over those that you are accountable for, you are sinning. I didn't say failing. I said sinning. Because Samuel said to Israel, I will not sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And you cannot read the epistles of Paul without noting, even subconsciously, the number of times he said to each individual group he wrote to, I'm praying for you. I'm praying this for you. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying for you. Brother Wright, if we did all that praying, we would never do anything but pray. You got the revelation. Because anybody that claims to be a man of God whose priority of their day is not prayer has forfeited the right to call themselves a man of God. Because if you're not a man of prayer, you're not a man of God. I know I spent many years trying to be something I couldn't be because I prayed, but it wasn't my priority. Doing was my priority. Doing was my priority, not praying. I would pray. But those that have power with God are not doers, they're prayers. Because if you're truly praying, what you do end up being instructed to do will be very fruitful. But if you give your token time to prayer and you go to doing, you will spend most of your day frustrated because everything will feel hard to do. So, you understand that my prayer, that I pray every day, is never the same two days in a row. Brother Hernandez, a couple of weeks ago, made a statement. I wrote it down, among other things he said. He said, don't make a method a ministry. God may use a method. He may use a method for a while, like call to war. But that method doesn't become your ministry.
Well, some of you haven't rebounded from that news yet, and so maybe I shouldn't have told you ahead of time, but um, really the purpose is that you'll squeeze every drop out of this if you do that. So, Father, because you love us, because your love is the basis for everything, because you've so freely given your love to us. I receive that love. I receive that love so it can can and will be my empowerment to acknowledge you as the I am God. And that that love in action called grace will empower me to give myself to you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I receive your love, Father, because by the revelation of your love, it's the only way I can see any value in myself. And because you value me, you value others. And so by your love, I become a conduit for your love to love my neighbor through me. And I thank you for that, Father. I receive your righteousness today because your love has so wonderfully provided righteousness because you took my place on the cross and I thank you for it Father and I receive that covering of righteousness because I have no other way to be saved but by your covering of righteousness on a daily basis and I thank you that that covering of righteousness is not just a robe that stands between me and your holiness so that you don't remember my sins But I thank you, Father, that that robe of righteousness is also the breastplate that protects me when I'm involved in your kingdom work. And I thank you for that, and I receive it today. I receive your grace today, Father, because without you can do I can do nothing. And I receive your grace to empower me both to desire to please you and to enable me to please you. And Father, by your grace and only by your grace, I die again today and claim the fact that I am crucified with you and that the life that is living in me and through me is not my life anymore. It is your life. And I speak that this day, that this is your life and not mine. And by you living in me, I am now your conduit so that your faith father can 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 be manifested through me and i thank you for that today and i receive it and i receive your mercies because of your great faithfulness that are new this morning and i confess my sin i especially confess any and every iniquity father any decision i made on my own knowingly or unknowingly every secret sin in me to control any moment of the day i confess that father because every sin that i might commit or have committed is a child of iniquity because that decision fosters decisions that are sin and i i thank you for your forgiveness today and i thank you for cleansing me from all unrighteousness today and i receive that father and by your grace 
that you give to those that humble themselves. I humble myself before you this day, Father, by casting every care upon you. I I cast this day on you, every moment of this day on you. I don't know what this day holds, but I cast it on you, Father. I give this whole day to you. I cast myself, my wife, my family upon you. I cast Antioch upon you. I cast the Maryland, D.C. district upon you. Every preacher, every church, every saint. I cast every individual that calls this office their bishop. I cast them upon you, Father. You are their father. You are their pastor. You are their bishop. And I cast it all upon you because without you, I can do nothing. And I give all of this to you today, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of your love. And by and through and with your grace. And with, by and through your authority as apostle and bishop. That you have chosen to rest upon this earthen vessel with. That you have entrusted and imparted and delegated to this earthen vessel. By that authority, your authority. I speak the word of authority as a covering. As an impartation. And a blessing upon every preacher and their family who is knowingly or unknowingly submitted to this authority. Who is directly or indirectly submitted to this authority. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak this covering over every church and ministry that these preachers are accountable to you for. I speak this covering and blessing and impartation upon every saint and their family who is submitted to these men of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak this word of authority as a covering over every geographical area that these these preachers and these churches and these saints are, are responsible to you for evangelizing. I speak this word of authority over every sinner and their home and family. I speak this word of authority over every backslider, their home and family, and over every unborn soul in the womb of the church and their soul and family that's a part of this, the geographical areas that these preachers and churches and saints are responsible to you for having dominion in and for sowing seed in and for reaping the harvest of. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak this word of authority as a covering and as an impartation and as a blessing for salvation. I speak grace, mercy, and peace upon every saved individual under the covering of this authority. I speak grace and mercy upon every unsaved individual in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bind the spirit of timidity and command to loose every soul under the covering of this authority. I loose the spirit of power, the spirit of love and the spirit of a sound mind in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might walk worthy with you in the name of Jesus. I loose, I speak this word of authority as a covering as an impartation and as a blessing over the ministry of every individual that's under the covering of this authority. I loose in them your ministry, your spirit, your word, your power, your authority 
and call it command that these things be active and activated in and through them this day. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I speak this word of authority as a covering impartation and blessing for protection and for provision for every individual submitted to your authority. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak this word of authority for, for health, for safety, for unity, for harmony. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and you, Father, you are our Father, and I speak in Jesus' name upon your the body of Christ and the earth, especially those under the covering of this authority, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that we might the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened. That we might know what is the hope of your calling. That we might know the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. That we might know that the exceeding greatness of your power in us. That you choose and want to operate through us as your body. Because you, our Father, are sitting on the throne of the universe and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ ruling over this universe. And you desire to exercise your name, your kingdom, your will, and your authority in the earth through us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command it to be so. In the name of Jesus, I speak the word, I speak the, I loose the spirit of God to strengthen us with might by your spirit in our inner man. That Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. That we might be rooted and grounded in love. That we might know and comprehend and understand the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. That we might know your love experientially above any ability of ours to know your love intellectually. That we might be filled with all of your fullness, Father. And that today, this day, you might be able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think in prayer today. Because your power and your authority of your spirit is active and operated in us so that you might be glorified. And on this account, Father, I loose the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the earth through the body of Christ, especially those under the covering of this authority, that the name of Jesus might be manifest in the earth through us so that your name would be sanctified and be sanctified by being glorified and magnified and revealed and trusted. Trusted in and praised and thanked and glorified and glorified. So that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. So that your people would demonstrate how great your name is. By running into your name as a strong tower. And that I loose the name of Jesus. So that everything that is done in word and deed today. By your body throughout this earth. Especially those under the covering of this authority. Would be done by and through your name Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By this authority. I loose the kingdom of God and the earth through the body, in, through, and by the body of Christ, especially those under the covering of this authority. I loose the name, the, the kingdom of God to be activated. I loose the, 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 the authority and power of God to be operative in the earth through us, that the dominion of God might be manifested in Jesus' name.
I loose the keys of the kingdom of God to be active and operative through the body of Christ today, especially those under the covering of this authority, that your name might be praised, that your word might be confirmed by the manifestation and demonstration of your spirit as a part of the kingdom of God. And there's a whole lot more to pray there, but don't have time to pray there because I usually do binding and loosing there because that's keys of the kingdom. But for time's sake, I'm moving on. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, by this authority, I claim and speak that the will of God as it's already purposed in heaven would be loosed in the earth in, through, and by the body of Christ, especially those under the covering of this authority. I loose the logos of God to be completely fulfilled in the earth as you have promised and guaranteed. I loose the oath you made to Abraham that it would come to pass because you are faithful. It's impossible for you to lie. And I loose that oath to come to pass in the earth today. I loose the counsel and wisdom of God. The knowledge of the Lord to fill the earth. I loose it in Jesus' name. I bind the devourer. Command you to loose the resources of the kingdom of God. And that part of the body of Christ that has given the king, kingdom of God the priority in their lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I, I command that the windows of heaven would be open. You own the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold and silver under the hills that doesn't belong to this world or its system. But I loose these resources that we, that those who have demonstrated that they are not in this for the money and the things they can get with the money, but that they will be faithful with these resources that you trust us with for the work of the kingdom that every soul might have the gospel preached to them throughout the world. I receive those resources for the kingdom today. I receive them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I loose the spirit of God, the word of God, the spirit of grace, the spirit of the fear of the Lord to convict every one of your children that has a grudge in the, in the body of Christ, especially those under this, the covering of this authority, that they would come to the place that they would forgive every sin so that Satan would not have an advantage over us as we walk with you and walk in this earth doing your will. In the name of Jesus, I loose the spirit of fear of the Lord that we would depart from iniquity and depart from evil as you have promised, Father, so that we would repent of every sin, not just the sins we of the things we've done, but all of those things that you've commanded us to do and you're expecting us to do as your body in the earth forgive Forgive us, Father. Forgive us, Father. And grant us repentance that we might change. I loose the Spirit of God, the grace of God to empower us to be crucified with Christ. That we might be dead and our lives hid with Christ and God. That our affections might be set on things above and not on the earth. So that our flesh will have no dominion in our lives and in our ministries. So that we will not fall into temptation and bring dishonor to your name and to your word and to your kingdom. 
I loose again the authority, your authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy so that the evil one cannot harm us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose your people to be upon the attack. I loose the body of Christ to be on the offensive, especially those under the covering of this authority. Because, Father, the only way we can be protected and overcome the evil one is to be on the offensive. And, Father, I loose your spirit, your word, your grace to examine our hearts that after all of this is done, none of it will be done for our purposes but only for your kingdom. And none of this, Father, will be done by our strength and ability and our flesh but only by your power. And I and I loose it, Father, and I, 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 I speak it and require you. I charge you, Father, to examine us to see that our motives are right and that we're not touching your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command every person that's a part of the body of Christ, every individual that's truly a part of the body of Christ, I command that they be thrust out, compelled, ejected out of their place of comfort and convenience, out of their place of personal priorities, and into the harvest field. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever it costs them, whatever you've got to do, that you are the Father, we are the children. Whatever you do in your wisdom and in your desperation, whatever it takes, Father, in Jesus' name, I loose it to be done to get your people out of their place of complacency and comfort and into the fields to labor with you as fellow laborers. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how long that took. Probably no more than about 20 minutes. So on some days, and that's all the time I got. Before there's something I need to do that I know he wants me to do. That is my minimum to start the day. I love those days when I don't have anything pressing. When I say pressing, I don't let anybody press me but him. And if if he's if there's something that's on the calendar of the schedule for the day that I know he put there, then I, I know that there's a, some kind of a limited amount of time. But I love coming to him in the morning when there's nothing I can't get out of today and I can sit and let the Spirit just lead me into all areas of those things that I can speak. Did I ask one thing in that prayer? Not one time did I ask anything.
I had one goal. That's to be a conduit of his rhema, his authority, his power in the earth. And what's so beautiful about that is I can be sick. I could be incapacitated. I've spent a few months like that over the last couple of years from some injuries I received and some falls, plural. But the beauty of that, as long as I whisper, I can walk the airways, the atmosphere of this earth and the spirit, releasing word here, releasing word here, releasing word here. Releasing word here, releasing word here, releasing word, 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 word. I told him this about a year and a half ago, and I mean it. I said, Father, and I'm saying, telling you this because I know he put this in me. He worked this in me. And I was so thrilled when I, when I, when I realized when I, I, it came to my conscious mind what he had done, I said, Father, I am so willing to be your conduit that you don't ever have to let me know any of these things I've spoken have happened. And I'm going to keep praying. them. If I don't know any of this, came to pass till I get to heaven. You can count on me. I do not have to see to believe, Father. You've already done more than enough in my life for me to believe. I trust you. I trust your principles. I know they're true. I know they work. I know they cannot fail. The only glitch in all of this is me. And so, by your grace, I have to try to stay as neutral and as clear inside the conduit as possible. Because I don't want crud on the walls of the inside of this conduit. Because if there is crud on the walls... Whatever's flowing through is going to pick up some of that. And then what's coming out won't be totally pure because it can't pass through a contaminated conduit without picking up residue off the walls of that conduit. That's my only responsibility every day is to become a neutral conduit. Paul said it this way. (laughs) Sorry up there. We may get back to that. I think we will sometime. Paul said it this way. You talk about some verses that are absolutely perverted in our understanding of them. It's Philippians chapter 4, and I'll start about. Well, let me read a little bit. I'll start in verse 6. Be careful or don't be full of care. Don't be full of anxiety for anything. Over and over, be careful for nothing or full of care for nothing. But in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your request be made known unto God. Request, there it is, it's asking. Oh, really? I don't think so. Because the perfect parallel to this is is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7. And what does that tell me to do? It tells me to cast my cares. So my request here is, I cast this care. And by your grace, you're taking this care. That's my request. Because the, the what am I praying for? To no longer be full of anxiety. And so First Peter 5, verses 5 through 7 is talking about that also. I'm seeking peace. I'm pursuing peace. How do I do that? By casting my care. So my request here. It's actually a casting of my care because those are the things that are giving me anxiety. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth or surpasses is superior to all understanding shall keep, guard, preserve your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if I have peace, I don't need medicine for my brain or my heart. Much of the high blood pressure in our world today is not a product of genetics. It's a product of stress. I was 38 years old, and it was time for church on a Sunday evening. But I'm sitting at my desk, and I have chest pains. And I said to my wife, called so-and-so. We had nurses in the church, and so... They came in and they checked me over and they called the ambulance. And they took me to the emergency room. And when I should have been in church in uh, the pulpit, I was in in, uh, the emergency room hooked up to IVs and EKGs. And they ran all these tests. And then they did, the next couple of days, they did stress tests. And the doctor said to me, uh, Reverend, you have the heart of an athlete. There's nothing wrong with your heart. Your problem is stress. And stress will kill you just as surely as heart disease. I know that preachers getting burned out is a problem and a concern, but we don't identify what the problem is. They're burned out because they live under pressure. And they live under pressure because they don't cast their cares and seek peace. Because I don't live under pressure at all. And to have not since the first Friday night of August 2003. I do not live under pressure. Because I'm not called to live under pressure. I'm called to have peace. And peace and pressure do not coexist in the same heart. Period. And it always cracks me up to hear preachers full of pressure try to explain how they both can be there at the same time. To justify themselves. Because everything I'm in in stress and pressure over is stuff that I have in my mind I call it the will of God, but it's the way I think things ought to go, and I'm trying to make it go that way. 
And so I'm eating Tums like candy. Or taking some other kind of medication. Or some go to the gym and pump out all their frustration or do other kind of activity trying to exhaust themselves. But you don't get rid of pressure like that. You got to cast the care. Because care, the root idea of care, you can study all this out. It's division. Care divides. It divides you from God. So I cast my cares so I'm not divided from God. And when I cast my cares, I have no pressure. And so First Peter 3.11, Peter said, Seek peace and pursue it. There's two things that personally I have to have to start my day before I get into praying all this other stuff. First, first of all, I want to get connected with God. But in getting connected with God, I seek his will and I want to do his will. I surrender to the will of God. I don't have to have any clue what the will of God is for today to surrender to the will of God today. And I cast my cares so that I seek peace. I have to pray from a position of peace in order to be a conduit. If I don't have peace, I can't be a conduit. Why? Because pressure constricts the conduit and it that changes the rate of flow. And the Lord may want a nice gentle flow, but when you crank down on that on that conduit, you increase the pressure behind that that constriction, which accelerates the velocity of the flow coming out. Somebody said the other day they were had been watching this stuff and they'd got used to drinking from a fire hose. Well, the goal is not to be a fire hose. The goal is just to be a conduit. If and to let him, he controls the nozzle on the end of the hose. I'm just the hose. If he wants to open that thing wide up and it's just a spray, his business. If he wants to crank that thing down and focus every drop at a fast rate and force, that's his business. But he's the source of what's flowing and he's in control of how it comes out. And all my job is, is just to stay connected on this end and yield it on this end so that I'm not influencing that. That wasn't where I was going, so let's go. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, uh, and whatsoever things, uh, you, you, and not knowing anything because you don't do words here. If there are any virtue and if there are any praise, think on these things. Because you won't find much of this on word share. Been there, done that, got off trying to stay saved. Because you can't do word share. If I'm talking to you, don't call me your bishop and say you're on word share. Period, end of story, that's it. 
If you're on word share and I'm supposed to be your bishop, you'll be off before this evening's service. Why? Because I've been there and 90% of what's on there doesn't have anything to do with this. In fact, it's all opposite of this. I don't want to know it. I don't want to hear it. And I don't want to try to convince somebody who's so carnal that all they're into is the latest tale. Word share is the new, is the new, is our day's version of Mars Hill where everybody goes to tell and hear some new thing. Ooh, brother, right? Won't you tell us how you really feel about it? No, you don't want me to tell you how I really feel about it. Somebody signed me up. I don't know why I'm saying this. I really don't. Somebody signed me up. I know who the somebody was, but they didn't ask me. They put me on there. And word share, that sounds like a good idea. Preachers talking about the word, right? That's what, that's what I, that's what word share means to me. It didn't say gossip share. It didn't say slander share. It didn't say political spirit. Let's, let's undo the superintendent share. And some of you know exactly what I mean by that. Okay. And I, I just observed for a while and I'm thinking, uh, but then somebody slandered one of my friends who's a man of God, an apostle of God. And they mocked his message. And I defended my friend and oh God. There was no brotherly kindness. I've never been talked to like that in my life. Even by drill sergeants. I've never been so disrespected in my life. Forget who I am or may be and being an elder. Forget all of that. I'm a brother. We can disagree without being disrespectful. Can't we? Oh, God, no. And I called him, the prophet over here. And I said to him, this is bad. He said, I've heard. He said, it's getting in your spirit, isn't it? I said, yes, it is, and it's really worrying me. He said, then you've got only one choice. Within 10 minutes of disconnecting that phone call, I was off. And when I got off, all of that stuff left my spirit. I lie not. When I got off, when I took my name out of that, every bit of that stuff left my spirit. And I went, oh God. Oh God. There's a lot of good guys on there. But they've already learned you don't say something. So you leave your name on there. You read that stuff. You just never comment. Because you know what happens to those that comment contrary to the Gestapo. That group of guys that that are the Gestapo. I call them the Gestapo. They're like Hitler's stormtroopers. 
Nothing is sacred. Nothing is sacred to them. Well, I didn't expect that today. So, now that that's done, let's move forward. All right? Praise God. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. The God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in, in the Lord greatly that now, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now to last year care of me at first again, wherein you were also careful but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You can't be content till you first learn how to have peace. Because you know what content means? Absence of want. Well, I want all kind of things. Oh, yeah. I want the things God wants for this, his kingdom, for the earth. I want all that. I am passionately consumed with that. But absence of want right here. My family is so frustrated because I'm very hard to buy Christmas presents for. Because I can't tell you what I want. And sometimes they give me stuff I like. A lot of times they do. And they, but they try. They really do. But I can't tell them what I want because I don't know what I want because I don't want. You got everything? No, I don't have everything. Yeah, I do have everything. I got Jesus. Is there anything else? I know. He said, I have learned, and it's a process, it's not an event. I have learned in whatsoever state, condition, situation I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry at the same time. Because John 14, 4.14 says... If I drink of this water, I'll never thirst again. And there's three words in the Greek that aren't translated, and I don't know why. But it's literally, uh, if you read Young's literal translation, he translates those three words. I'll never thirst again for this age, for this world. So I am full and satisfied of him, but I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness at the same time. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And here's the context of this verse that is taken out of context and quoted all the time. I can do all things. What are those all things? I can be content. I can be both abased and abound. I can be full and hungry. I can abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's the all things I can do through Christ that strengtheneth me. 
because that's what helps me become a conduit. A conduit. A conduit for what? That's a strange introduction to this, but here it is. A con, a conduit for being a joint heir, joint laborer, fellow participant with the Lord and his angels in his field. How do I know that? Because the angels are involved with the Spirit of God and the people of God in the harvest. Jesus himself said that. Oh, I know he said that specifically about the end of the world. But if the, if the rapture is considered a harvest, then every day that I participate in the daily harvest, I'm practicing to be raptured. Because, because the spirit of the harvest is the spirit of the rapture. Now, I've got studies on that but I don't have the liberty to take the time to go into that. But hear me. The spirit of the harvest is the spirit of the rapture. And those not involved in the harvest have no practice responding to the spirit of the rapture. So, we're going to talk about sowing a little bit. We didn't really get to this yesterday. I thought it was going to be yesterday during the day, and it wasn't. And I thought it was going to be last night, and it wasn't. And I thought it was going to be this morning, and so far it hadn't. But, hey, praise God, the Lord has his timing. And I don't know why all that was the introduction to this, but I just work here. So it's his, it's his business. Isaiah 28, beginning with verse 23. Isaiah 28, verse 23. I never can see who's on the computer. It's dark up there as it glares. So, dear brother computer person, uh, we're finally at the beginning verse. Give ye ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Hello? Do we need trumpets? Hear ye, hear ye. Do we need a bosun's whistle? Attention on deck. What do we need for the Lord to get our attention that what's about to follow is really important stuff? Give you ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? When he hath made plain the face thereof, Doth he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? For his God, oh, here you go, ready? For his God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. Selah. Brother Wright, I don't know how to do this. 
Well, you got a promise right here. He'll teach you if you'll take the time to wait on him. Now, I, I admit, my first computer was a 4 slash 6 megahertz machine. And if I did a word search in that first Bible program, just a concordance word search, it took 45 minutes. And if I wanted to do a search for a, for verses with two different words in it, it could be an hour and a half. So when they came out with a 12 megahertz machine, I didn't care what it cost. I gotta have this because it brought my searches down to seven to ten minutes. And now, when I push the word search, if I don't get instantaneous results, I want to throw this iPad against the wall. Right now. And that's the way we get with God. I've asked a question, where's the answer? I need an answer. Where's the answer? I need an answer. Where's the answer? And he's saying, uh, it's hard to answer when you keep talking. It's really hard to answer when you keep talking. We sing that song, quote that verse. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I love the Hebrew word there. The word wait means to intertwine as a vine, which takes time. You see these mighty trees and these frail vines that they may be that big around or whatever, but they can't stand up on their own at all. But you see them wrap up the outside of that tree and that vine can so intertwine itself with that tree, it'll go, it can go as tall as that tree gets because it's not dependent on itself to get there. It just intertwines with the vine. So how intertwined with our God are you? Not at all if you don't ever spend any time waiting on him. They that wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord. So this verse says, for his God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. Now again, again, don't, you don't have to change this. I'm just going to refer to it quickly. He starts out the passages we're reading here with this attention, 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 light flashing, bells ringing. Listen up, listen up, get the message. It's, it was a, it was shocking the first time it happened. I didn't even know somehow I signed up for it. But when that emergency alert first came over the phone, eh, 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 whoa, this thing is alive. I don't, I didn't, I don't remember asking for that. Tornado or amber alert or silver alert or whatever it is, eh, eh, and What's really weird is to be someplace where there's other people and hear all of those phones going off at once. Eh, eh. This is what this verse is doing to his church. Stop what you're doing. Sit down. Listen a minute. I got something to say to you. 
because it's important to my kingdom. Or we could be like the guy, well, I'm going to follow you, Lord, but i got to go bury my dad. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. Well, that's hard. No, the kingdom is that important. Or the fellow said, let, uh, just let me go say bye. He said, okay, you just disqualified yourself because I put your hand on the plow when I called you and you just looked back. So go tell him bye and stay with him. Because you just failed the test. Because whoever forsakes husband, wife, parents, children, houses, lands, best friends, and gives up his own life for my gospel's sake, shall have a hundredfold more. And don't go checking your bank account. Because that's not what he's talking about. For I hath not seen. Neither is ear heard, neither is entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Well, some, not everybody, not even a majority, because we're too busy practicing religion and busy with our lives to spend enough time in the spirit for him to reveal anything to us. And we're flying down the highway at 10 miles an hour over, expecting not to get stopped for that. Thank God it works most of the time. And if he's going to tell us anything, he's got to tell us over that. You know, it's weird. For years, I, I'd, I'd listen to ESPN radio or whatever. I, you know, you get in the car, you turn on some music, or you turn on talk radio or something. It's really the strangest thing. He never said anything. He never said anything about that. But now, especially if I'm in the car by myself, I don't want any noise. I don't want anything going on. I'm not condemned. If you do that, that's pure business between you and God. He didn't say to me, don't turn anything on. I found out I didn't want anything. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, 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 talking to him, listening. I didn't get here overnight. In Jesus' name, I pray your trip is a lot shorter than mine's been. Because I'm telling you right now. He said I came to bring life and life more abundantly. Life is awesome, but it's nothing compared to abundant life. Abundant life is indescribable. It's joy unspeakable. It's, there's no way to express it. It's, it's abundant life. It's full of purpose, full of meaning. And the adversary gets really frustrated because thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And he, and great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. If circumstances, he can't use circumstances to get to you and he can't use offense to get to you, what can he do? Now, verse 
Verses 4, 24 through 26 are talking about sowing. Verses 27, for the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cartwheel turned about upon the cumin. But the fitches are beaten out with a staff and the cumin with a rod. Bread corn is bruised, that's wheat and barley, on a threshing floor. Because he will not ever be threshing it. He will not ever be threshing it, nor breaking it with the wheel of the cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. So the point here again is this, brethren, sisters, if we will let him, it's his plan. It's his purpose. It was his idea before the foundation of the world. It's only a mystery because we don't have time to hear it. It's only a mystery because we're satisfied having our brains and spirits contaminated with religious tradition. Because religious tradition makes the word, Jesus said this, Matthew 15, Mark 7. Religious tradition, and he was talking about the tradition of his people who were still his people till the day of Pentecost. He was talking about his people. He said, your tradition makes your worship vain. It makes the word of God a none effect. And you teach the commandments of traditions of men instead of the commandments of God. You tell me how you can find anything good in something that turns worship into useless, empty, worthless activity that makes the word of God of no effect in your life where the word of God can't do anything in you and where you've substituted the methodologies and practices of men for the commandments of God. You tell me how you can find anything good in that. But we try. This is not Chesterite. This is first of all Logos, but it's also Rhema. Even as the Lord spent three and a half years drawing a line among his people, a line of separation between the the religious traditionalists who claimed to still be his people but had forsaken his own word to the point they didn't even recognize that word when it walked among them manifest in the flesh. And on the other side of the line, there's those that weren't at word above everything else. Truth. Because if you don't receive a love for the truth, God himself will send you strong delusion and you will believe a lie and be damned. And tradition is not truth. It's a lie. I don't care who taught you how to do it like that. I don't care how beloved the elder or the dad is or was who taught you that.
It just, I don't understand it. How we make heroes out of men like Parnum and Seymour. And all those other great pioneers. And I won't begin to name anymore. And yet today we're stuck in tradition. When the only reason we even have what we have. Is because those men. Left. Tradition. At the expense of being ostracized. Criticized. Cursed. Damned. Called all kind of things. We wouldn't have what we do have if there weren't men who weren't willing to leave tradition in pursuit of truth. And now, those who have turned that truth into a lie by mixing it so full of the traditions of men, they want to crucify people speaking with the same voice calling for the same thing that those great men had and did back then. I wonder, I wonder if God in his wisdom allows that cycle to happen So he always has a test of the heart and the mind and spirit of every generation. When I was a young preacher, let me tell you what the test was. The test was over those who were for or against the workings and giftings of the spirit. Because in most of our churches in the 60s and into the 70s, yes, UPC churches, if men, if there was tongues and interpretation in our churches, it was probably less than 20% of them. Nobody else allowed it. Well, why were there so few men like T.W. Barnes and Billy Cole? Oh, there were a lot more men that wanted what they wanted and had what they had. But we drove them out. And they made shipwreck because they let us offend them. And we're all the time doing stuff like this, you see. Later on, as I was a minister, the whole thing came down over preaching on TV. Bylaw was put in the manual at 55, you couldn't have a TV, but there was nothing said about preaching on TV. I think it was 77 or 78 in Indianapolis General Conference. There were two men, especially, who were mightily used to God in our movement. But the powers that be, whoever that was, decided these guys were getting bigger than us. They needed to be cut down to size. 
And if you think the anti-preaching on TV movement was about holiness, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I'll sell to you real cheap. It was political. It wasn't holiness. You mean we suddenly decided it only took us 22 years to decide that preaching on TV was anti-holiness? From 55 to 77 is how long it took us to decide that it was sin to preach on TV? Oh, it was holiness. That's a lie from the pits of hell. If you want to be deceived and believe that lie, you go right ahead. But it's a lie. It was politics. It was our way to cut down two men to size and to make sure they knew who was in charge. One of those men, it came out later, had already swallowed the poison. He'd already become full of himself. But the other one stood on that general conference floor, that business meeting, with tears streaming down his face. And he said, brother, I was born in this movement. I've been in this movement all my life. I don't want to be do anything else. But because it was allowed, I have signed contracts where I'm obligated to over several million dollars to TV stations. And I, this is in 1977, 78 dollars. And I've spent over a million dollars on, on equipment to record and broadcast our services. And I did all this while it was allowed. And if you pass this, If I, if I try to get off TV, I'm going to get sued for breach of contract by all these people. And to sell all this equipment, I'll get pennies on the dollar. I remember that. You know why? Because that man was preaching the youth camp. And between my freshman and sophomore years in college and his passion for souls, resonated in me his love for the lost resonated in me and in a prayer meeting at that youth camp was the first time I'd publicly acknowledged that I had a call to preach and me this little old nobody that man recognized something in me and I don't know what he saw I don't know what he felt But he put his hands on me and prayed for me. And I sensed the purity of his spirit. And to sit there where this man had done nothing but try to reach the lost. While he shed tears and begging his brethren, at least give me some room here. Give me an opportunity here. But there was this attitude. It rose up in that. You could feel it. It rose up among our brethren there. Nobody's bigger than us. Nobody's more important than us. We're going to show you. That was holiness, wasn't it? Well, that was so holy. Oh, there's people out there that's got a different take on all that. That's their problem. 
I'd been pastoring seven years. I was reaching after God with, till I didn't have any fingernails clawing and reaching. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. I was just reaching, 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 reaching. This is the man that preached to us as kids. He had scholarships to LSU and others to play quarterback. He got saved in Alexandria, Louisiana. And when he got saved, he was still in high school. And he gave up all of that for the gospel. And his pastor's wife said to him, If you don't have a burden for the lost and a passion to see the lost saved, you find yourself someplace to pray and don't get up until God baptizes you with a passion for the lost and a burden for the lost. Well, let me tell you something, friend. I I felt that with every part of my being. Those rhemas spoken by that man of God did this to me. I don't, I'm not on TV. What a waste of money. I got a better chance at winning at the roulette tables in a casino than winning people through TV. If you spend all that money, it's broadcast once and it's gone. And out of the hundreds of channels they got to watch, for a fraction of that, as with many others, we broadcast our services every service. Only God knows where all that goes. I love it. You know why I love it? Because I don't know who's hearing it, and I don't see their looks of approval or admiration, or I don't see their looks of anger. All of that's between them and God. I'm just speaking the word, and if they're getting anything out of it, great. If they're not, not my problem. And some people, they got a little old, I don't mean offensive by this, rinky-dink set up, but they broadcast their services. Others, they spend all kind of money, got all kind of equipment, and they broadcast their services. I don't even know any UPC preacher on TV. You may. I don't. I don't know anybody. I don't have one personal acquaintance. Who's on TV? Because it wasn't about TV. The man at that time, whether right or wrong, all he was trying to do was cast gospel seed. And here we are today. Oh, my Lord. YouTube. YouTube. Vimeo. Live stream. That's at least three places you can find stuff recorded here. There's more, I'm sure. Oh, now, I just, I didn't even know we were doing Facebook Live. I didn't know it. I just preached. That's other people's ministry. Literally, I didn't find, I didn't even know, I didn't know Antioch was doing Facebook Live. I didn't know it. 
Well, here's the weird thing. We've had more views on Facebook Live than we've had on live stream. If our, my checking's correct. Wow. And I know, I know for a fact, there are people either watching live or sentences archived in Brazil, in Singapore, in Spain, in the UK, in Norway. Among other places. Hey. Talk about a synonym for sowing is called broadcasting. It is casting abroad. It is an indiscriminate casting of the seed. Paul said... I planted, Apollos watered. You do understand that planting and sowing are not the same thing. Now, Paul planted. So there must be something good about planting. I'm all for that. If Paul did it, and it's of God, let's do it. But there are some churches that only plant. They don't sow. I'm thankful they plant. But that is not a substitute for sowing. And sowing is not a substitute for planting. What's planting? A purposeful insertion of seed in a specific spot of ground at a certain specific depth according to the knowledge and skill of the one sowing or planting the seed. What would that be similar to? Home Bible study. Whether it's sitting in a McDonald's with a one-hour Bible study or sitting in somebody's home with a chart. It is, it's not sowing the seed, it's planting. Because sowing the seed doesn't necessarily imply there's direct contact between the sower and the place where the seed lands. If you go to Ecclesiastes 11, brother or sister on the computer, it's down a little bit there. Ecclesiastes 11 and 1. These are the biblical principles of sowing. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. That's not a positive statement. If you're looking for an excuse not to sow and not to reap, you'll find one. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, 
nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whither shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Now when he said seven or eight there, he didn't put a cap on it. What he's trying to say there is, don't just stick with one method. Don't do two things. Don't do three things. But let him show you every possible idea and avenue where you can get the seed out there. And the beauty of this, the more avenues you got, the more people can find an avenue that they enjoy. And if they enjoy it, they'll become good at it. And if they enjoy it and they're good at it, they'll do it. And if they'll do it without you having to browbeat them, everybody wins. Door hangers. Passing out tracks. Flyers on cars. Knocking doors to a degree kind of fits in between sowing and planting, but it works, especially spirit-led evangelism. Canvassing means you go to every door, and that's one of seven or eight or ten or fifteen or whatever. There's some that do that. They're good at it. And then what I always used and still do when I have the opportunity is spirit-led visitation. You get up and pray. You wait for the Lord to send you. You turn here. He says, turn here, turn here, knock that door. Does that work? You don't have the time for me to tell you how well it works. And this was my premise for that, my faith. God knows. God knows. He knows who's there. He says, Psalm 79, 11, let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. He knows who's sighing. He knows where they are. He knows their situation. If he can direct me to the house or the place where that person is that's sighing to him. And a sigh is a prayer that they don't know what to say. They know something's wrong. They know something's missing. They don't know what it is. They just know they need something. And he even hears that prayer from them and calls it a prayer. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. If we heard what God heard every evening as people lay down, it would drive us nuts because there are sighs that go up from darkened bedrooms all over this world. Because people lay down in hopelessness and in despair. And they don't know the answer. And they don't know what they need. And if I just get tuned into that. And let his spirit lead me where they connect. I'm going to tell you one story. I told you a little bit about Brother Libby the other day. I'm not going to tell that one. I was still evangelist. We were preaching in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, we were doing visitation. And uh, 
those that could, we would meet at the church about nine and I would teach on soul winning and visitation, how to do visitation for about an hour. And then we would pray and then we would go and we would try to follow the spirit. The pastor wanted to go with me. And so he said, okay, I'm following you, whatever you want to do. So he's driving and I said, turn here. Turn here. I don't know the area, so I'm just, it was really good because I didn't know anything. I'm just, turn here, turn here, turn here. This street. Let's try this street. So we started knocking on doors. We only found two people home, and one of them was kind of nice, but we didn't really have a great witness with them. And we, we were supposed to meet back at the church. That was not the wisest thing that I set up. That was my doing because it put pressure on us to quit. Because we were supposed to be back and we were in charge, right, right. So, so we'd got about halfway down the street and time was up. So we left and nothing happened. And so we, uh, next day we got out praying and I did teaching. We prayed and then we got in the car and the pastor said, where to? I said, I just can't get that street out of my spirit. Let's go back to that street. So we went and we started on the opposite end of the street. We didn't pick up in the middle of where we we quit. Nobody was home. And finally we came up to this porch. There was a guy sitting on the porch having his morning smoke. And he was a denominal deacon in his church. And we couldn't get a word in edgewise. And because this was the first time we'd had a conversation with anybody, the pastor just, he thinks this is awesome. We're sitting here talking to this stranger and we're having a conversation. It wasn't a conversation. We couldn't say anything. <laughs> and he's telling us all this stuff. And I'm sitting there and the, standing there and the longer he goes on, I, I'm just frustrated out of my mind. Let's, I'm trying to send mental telepathy to the pastor. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <coughs> he doesn't do the mental telepathy. He didn't do it because it wasn't working. And and the longer this went, the more frustrated I got. And I was 24. And so at 24, I could get really frustrated. So anyway, so finally, finally, the pastor must have picked up on me. He said, it was really nice talking to you, sir. We, we, we've got to go. So we were walking out the, ste- out, out the sidewalk, and I'm so frustrated. He said, what are you going to do? My first, what I first said was, let's just go on back to the church. But then the Lord said, no, do one more house. So we walked across the street, which was the house next door to where we stopped the day before. <coughs> and opened the gate of the fence and walked up to the, the sidewalk, knocked on the door. And no, wouldn't you know it, nobody was home. So we walked down the sidewalk and I had my back to the street. The pastor had walked out the gate first, and I had my back to the street closing the gate. This is the timing. We're closing the gate, and a car pulls up right behind me. And I turn around, and there's a lady probably in her late 20s, early 30s, gets out of the car. And so I did my little introductory thing. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a Reverend Chester Wright. This is Pastor So-and-so. And uh, we're uh, here inviting people to church. We're having a revival. And I don't let people talk. I steer the conversation. I do that by asking questions. So 
And I said to her, have you ever been in a Pentecostal church? Well, she outdid me. She ignored my question. She asked her own question. She said, do you understand the Bible? And, and even I am sensitive enough to the Holy Ghost to hear bells. To hear a doorbell ring that's waiting to be opened. And I said, well, I believe we do, but it would be a little difficult to dis- discuss all that standing here. Oh, she said, I'm sorry. Come on in. And the pastor's eyes are about this big because this is just awesome, right? So we walk in, and he sits down in a chair, and I sit on the couch by her with my Bible open. And I taught her a lesson I'd never taught before. I, exactly like this. I, 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 the Holy Ghost, I just started the Old Testament and showed her all the promises of God on the new covenant, what it was. It was him putting his spirit in that. And then I took her in the gospels and showed where Jesus talked about people receiving the spirit. And this is all the new covenant. Then I took her to Acts chapter two and showed her where everything in the Old Testament, everything in the gospels was fulfilled. And that took me about an hour and a half. And she never moved. Never asked a question, didn't move. And when I'm done, she said, again, she, it's like I did, wasn't even talking, I, that's at least the time I thought this. She said, you know, this is really strange. Yesterday, I was sitting on this very couch, right about this time, she said. And I had my Bible open, I was trying to read it. And it didn't make any sense to me. And she said, I just lifted up my eyes and said, God, I don't understand this. Would you send somebody to explain it to me? And then she looked at me and said, where were you? I was expecting you yesterday. And from that house, in the next two weeks, we baptized seven adults that became the foundation of revival in that church for years to come, according to that pastor. He said that door was the breakthrough that brought great revival to their church because not just the people that got saved, but the faith of the people, everybody else, was so lifted by that. Well, that started out as sowing. It ended up as planting and in a short amount of time became a harvest. Now, if this is a process and it obviously has times to it, then the question is, how can you have such a quick harvest? How can, how can that happen? Uh, I know the verses, but I want to read them. Here it is. Okay. No. Sorry. Oh, here it is. Amos chapter 9 and verse 11. Amos 9 11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David. Now remember this terminology that is fallen. 
and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in, in the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all, of all the heathen which are called by my name. The heathen, the Gentiles that are called by my name. Saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine. And all the hills will melt. And I will bring, and I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. And they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon the land. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord God. Now here's the significance. James quoted these or referenced these verses in Acts chapter 15 when the church council was trying to decide what their approach should be with the Gentiles. So that means these verses are talking, in Amos are talking about us. And the Lord is saying, I have put in place seed time and harvest, but there's coming a day When I'm going to do things concisely, quickly, and you're going to have rapid harvests. So I'm reading in Romans 9, 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath lifted to, fitted to destruction, and that he might Make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us, even us, whom he had called, not of Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in O.C., I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the people of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning them, through an, through the num, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because a short work will the Lord do on the earth. And the words there are amazing. The word finish means to complete in its entirety. Nothing left out. In other words, what he's about to do is not panic mode. And saying, okay, let's unload all this off the ship because this ship is sinking and we got to get rid of all this stuff and just try to get the ship to shore before it sinks. It's not a rat emergency rescue operation by God's special forces because the church is falling apart so rapidly that if he doesn't come and get it quickly, there won't be anything to rapture. That's ludicrous. He's coming back after a glorious church, not a sickly church. He's coming back after a glorious church, 
a glorious church. A church that's full of his glory. And one translation of the Greek word D-O-X-A, doxa, it it means the self-manifestation, the self-revelation of God. I'd sure love to know what you two guys are twick tweeting back and forth. Texting, excuse me, back and forth. That'd be really interesting. Or maybe not. So here we are. He says... He will fulfill it completely, finish it totally. And the Greek word there for work and work is not ergon, which is the word Greek word for labor or work. It is the Greek word logos. For I will completely finish the logos. And cut it short doesn't mean lop it off. It means I will do, the Greek word is I will do concisely or quickly. I will take the spaces out. Everything that's necessary to be done will and must be done. But I'll just take the waiting periods out and do it really quickly. And he's going to cut it short in righteousness. Why is that? (laughs) Because let me tell you this, my friend. What's about to happen on the earth through the church in fulfillment of God's plan that was laid before the foundation of the world is going to be so far beyond anything we've ever experienced that no flesh can stay in that for very long without being corrupted by the glory. No flesh. Nobody's that spiritual. That they can participate In that dynamic, if Lucifer could sit in the presence of God and end up corrupted without even having flesh, you tell me how that we humans can be conduits for such glory that it shakes the foundation of the world and be there for very long. So if you think the Lord is going to establish all kind of churches, there's not going to be time for that. I got to be honest with you. I spent some time in my life really having a problem as a home missionary with those great pioneers of ours that would go to a town, set up a brush brush arbor or rent a space in a building and then begin to have services and pray a bunch of people through the Holy Ghost, baptize a bunch of people and leave them behind without a specified leader. I used to have a problem with that because I'm wondering how reckless is that? How irresponsible is that to pray a bunch of people through and just leave them Well, apparently the Lord was saying, move on. So, obviously, my question then had to be with God. What are you doing? What he was doing was foreshadowing what's about to happen in this earth. And I believe that what we don't know, because I never followed up on the history of any of those local revivals that were happening like that. 
I believe God raised up some people right among that group and rapidly matured them and got them ready to lead. Even if it was a matter of weeks or months. I've lived that. Or he Libby ruined me. He did. He absolutely ruined me. From the day he got the Holy Ghost. And don't forget, we had four services a week. Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Literally, I am not exaggerating. I'm telling you the truth before God. Him and his wife never came to a service without a guest. Every month for three and a half years after that breakthrough, because he was the, he and his wife were the last two in our breakthrough month. We hadn't had anybody get the Holy Ghost in our building. We'd had two people get the Holy Ghost. One I had to take to Baltimore to a rally. The other I had took to a Holy Ghost seminar in, uh, uh, Alexandria, Virginia. We couldn't get anybody prayed to in our building. And we did spiritual warfare in November and in December we, December, was our breakthrough. We had 11 get the Holy Ghost and 9 baptized on the last two of those brothers and sister Libby. And for the next three and a half years, we had people get the Holy Ghost get baptized every month. We went from something, nothing, to, to harvest. Well, that was a slight problem. Brother Libby had been saved just a little, few weeks, less than two years. And I get a, heart, a call from the district superintendent. And he said, I got this church over in Rockville that's opened up and I need a pastor. And I'm, I'm thinking that Brother Libby should be considered. Well, you want to hear something crazy? I took R.E. Libby to the East Central District Board for local license a week before he would, would have been saved six months. And they granted it. And I look back on that now and I go, if I was the superintendent or a presbyter, would I have done that? In all honesty, not very likely. And here's the superintendent, because in between that time and this time, we had now become a district. Maryland and D.C. became a district separate from West Virginia. And and here we are. And he's asking me to let the number one soul winner in this church go. And I told him all I could tell him. I'll pray about it. And we went to a deeper life conference in Jackson, Mississippi in January 74. My wife and I and him and his wife. And it was the last night. I thought I'd made it. It's the last night. And the service was in a civic auditorium. And he and his wife were sitting two rows behind my wife and I. Place was packed. And the service was almost over. And I heard these words. Let him go. Because when I told, I had already told him about it. And this was his response. Pastor, if you say stay, 
I'm staying, and you'll never have any question or problem for me over that. And if you say go, I'll go, and I'll never question you for sending me. He didn't have to. Even with the voice of the Lord, I questioned my sanity for years. And I walked out of the row, back down the row, went in that back row where he was standing, put my arm around his shoulder, and I said, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, I know. He knew me really well. We were, our spirits were just like that. I said, you're, you're going to go. He said, I know. <laughs> Here's the ironic joke of all this, if you want to call it that. I participated in installing him to pastor on my 28th birthday, February the 18th, 1974. He had been saved less than two years and two months. And the fact that after all these years, the man not only has been powerfully used, and he's probably better known than I am, which is more than fine with me. The miracle is he's saved. Saved. How do you do that? And the Lord says, this is what the Lord says to me. If I could do that with R.E. Libby 45 years ago, I'm going to be able to do that even more rapidly in this day and time because I'm going to pour out my spirit in places where I send my word and no human has even been involved. I'm sending my word because I can send my word today in all kind of manners and you don't even know I've sent it and I can raise up men and mature them quickly that they can pastor what I'm doing for the brief length length of time it's going to take before I come back and take out of this all this out of here in the short amount of time. The whole creation groaneth and is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. At the end of the old covenant, the son of God locked that, locked that. I've said this so many times, but it just sends something through me every time he instructs me to say it again. There came a day that the son of God locked that carpenter shop for the last time, walked down to the river, had his cousin who did not know he was the Christ baptize him. And all of a sudden, this obscure carpenter in this despicable town of Nazareth that nothing good, they said, could come out of Nazareth, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he bursts on the scene in such a way that everybody knew. And then with the miracles and the signs and the wonders confirming his word, no one could claim ignorance of this man. The problem was there was a line 
Some believed he was the Christ, and some believed he was a dangerous imposter who needed to be eliminated. And just as the Son of God was manifested in power and great miracles to close out the Old Testament, the sons of God are going to be manifested all over this earth in great power and authority and demonstrations of the Holy Ghost to close out this new covenant. And you and I are being offered an opportunity to be a part of that. And I wonder, I wonder how many of this room are going to find themselves manifested one day rather than removed. Because the decisions you're making now are determining where you're going to be then. Jesus, help us. Have mercy on us, Lord. You said you remembered our frame, that it was made of the dust. I'm reminding you again today, Father, what you already know. But I'm pleading with you to remember that we're just dust. And every one of us has got issues because you made this an earthen vessel, and it's got so many hairline fractures in us in this vessel and we're so far from perfect and the only thing good about us is the treasure and you're the treasure there's nothing else good about us just you have mercy on us father have mercy on us have mercy on us do your work in us father have mercy on us father in Jesus name help us to make the decision that's pleasing to you Help us to make the decisions that are right in your sight. Help us, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Father. Help us, Father. Help us, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Mark 4, 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground, should sleep and rise night and day, the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, Immediately, he putteth in the sickle. And again, that word putteth in is apostello 
to send out with a commission, with authority, and on a mission. He put it in the sickle because the harvest is come. Deuteronomy 16, 9 says, Seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee. Begin to number the seven weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle into the corn. Why? Because on the first day of the week after the Passover was the day, it's called a couple of different things, but it was the day of the first fruits. It was the day of the wave offering. No obedient Israelite could reap their grain harvest till after they went into their field, cut down one sheaf, brought it before the, before the Lord, and waved it in thanksgiving in advance of the harvest. And not that day, but beginning the next day, by this law and others, they were allowed to reap their field for 49 days. The first day of the week is the way of offering. You add 49 days to that, you get what? Pentecost. Passover, the first day of the week after the Passover, the day that he resurrected because he was the first fruits of them that slept. The harvest that and the resurrection that will be completed, the first resurrection that will be completed at the end of this, the first fruits of it happened at the beginning of it. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was resurrected on the first day. And then there's 49 weeks. And the harvest is concluded on the 50th week. Well, what about up the grain that's left in the field? By law, biblical law, after the day of Pentecost, only gleaners could go into the harvest field after that. It couldn't be any of the, har- the, uh, the uh, owner's family. None, himself or his family, none of his laborers, no one who would reap anything that he would profit by. By law, the only people allowed in that man's field were those who were reaping a harvest upon which they bestowed no labor. That's called a gleaner. So after the day of Pentecost, When it comes to the literal natural grain harvest, everything that's reaped out of that field after the day of Pentecost is called gleanings. And they were not to round, they were, they were not to, they were to round the corners of their fields and leave the corners unreaped. And anything that they had bound up that they forgot and left on the ground, they couldn't go back and pick up. And any part of the field that they did not get reaped by the 50th day, because the day of Pentecost is the day that the Jews celebrated the giving of the, the old covenant. And the Lord changed covenants on the same day. That means the first century laborers were not harvesters. They were gleaners. Because all the people saved in the first century of the church were gleanings. Because the harvest of the Old Testament was completed on the day of Pentecost. Anybody saved under the Old old Covenant, they were no longer could be saved under that day. So all those souls were under a different covenant. 
The ones that died under that covenant were saved. The ones that were still alive in that time had to switch covenants. If they did not, they went from saved to lost. And on the day, on, on the, the conclusion of the harvest of the New Testament church, which we call the rapture, there will be souls saved after the rapture, but they will not be in the church. They will be gleanings. They will be saved out of the seven years. If you believe that we're still here in those seven years, you have a slight problem because Revelation 7 tells of a group which no man could number that's saved out of great tribulation. The problem is not one promise made to the church was fulfilled in them. The church was promised that they would sit with the Lord in his throne. These people were standing. The church has promised crowns. These people had palms, not crowns. The church has promised that we would rule and reign with him. These people were serving him day and night. And there's one other slight problem. And if you would put up the last verse of Revelation 7, and I don't remember what it is, what number it is. But if you put up the last verse of Revelation 7, here's another significant difference between this group and the church. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, shall, future tense, they're in heaven, and so he's going to feed them, future tense, in heaven, and he shall, future tense, it hadn't already happened by the time they got to heaven, shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. The word fountain there is the exact same word in the Greek that's used well, well of living waters in John chapter 4, 14. So, he shall lead them unto wells or fountains of living waters. And since we know from John chapter 7 that the living waters in this well is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, these people went to heaven without ever having received the baptism of the Holy Ghost till they got to heaven, which means they were not the church and couldn't have been saved by the church because the church was not here, because the church was taken when the Holy Ghost availability of the baptism of the Holy Ghost was taken off the earth. And that means the plan of salvation changed. The promises to those that were saved changed. And the preachers changed. Well, who were the preachers? The 144,000 John John the Baptist-like folks. They were the preachers. Well, what was the plan of salvation in that 70-year period? Well, if I go to Daniel chapter 9, we find that the angel told Daniel, I'm going to tell you about 70 weeks of years that apply to your people and your city. These were not, this was not a prophecy about Gentiles. This was a prophecy strictly about Israel, the Jews. And those 70 weeks applied to the Jews. So, If the 69th week ended when Messiah was cut off, what was the plan of salvation preached in the 69th week? Repentance and water baptism in the name of the one who was to come is how John preached it. 
But Jesus wouldn't have baptized and had his disciples baptized in the name of the one who was to come because he had come. So Jesus and the disciples who did most of the, he baptized the disciples, the 12, and they baptized everybody else in the name of Jesus. How do I know that? Because none of them were rebaptized after the day of Pentecost. So they had to have been baptized already in the name of Jesus. So the plan of salvation before the day of Pentecost had to have been repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. No Holy Ghost. To be in the church, you have to have the Holy Ghost. Now, are there people being saved during this 2,000-year period of the church age without the Holy Ghost? I don't believe so, and I'm not willing to teach that they are. If God decides to find a way to not send them to hell, that's, that's his business. But I don't have a right to preach less light than I've got without being accountable for preaching less light than I've got. And it's going around in our movement, the progressive light doctrine, that God's only going to judge people by the light they have. And that there are some, one fairly well-known name among us, that's no longer among us, has publicly stated that he doesn't preach baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost because he wants those people to be saved in the light which they've got. Well, according to his doctrine, they may be, but he's not going to be. Because he's not preaching all the light he's got and he doesn't have the right to play God and preach less light than he's got. And I don't know why I'm talking about any of that. But I hope whoever you are is listening, whether you're in this room and hear it someplace else now or you'll watch this later. I hope you're listening because you're jeopardizing your soul when you're playing God. I don't have a right to take the truth backwards. But the problem is, there are 70 weeks that God has spoken upon Israel. And they aren't finished yet. We're still in the period of time between the end of the 6th and 9th, beginning of the 70th. It's a different plan of salvation. So, whenever the church is gone, we go back to gleaning. And that multitude that no man could number that's standing before the throne with palms in their hands, it's not the harvest. Ooh. It's just the gleanings. And the harvest is always greater than the gleanings. And that's what I'm waiting on. And that's what I'm going to be a part of. You're welcome to join me. That's what I'm going to be a part of. I've lived my whole life to be a part of that. When David said concerning Goliath, and his brother said, I know you. You're so full of pride. Yeah, what's the problem, Eliab? You were rejected. And your brother that wasn't even called was left out in the field. He got anointed. You didn't. So who is it's got the pride? So I know you. And this is what David said in the King James. Is there not a cause? But the word cause there is the Hebrew word D-A-R-B-A-R in the English equivalent letters. 
And it is the word that was used to translate, that is translated by rhema in, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So Darbar is rhema. And so David said, don't I have a word? You say, I got pride. I'm just acting like somebody's got a word. What was the word? The Sam, prophet Samuel poured oil all over his head and said, you're going to be king of Israel. What does that mean? He can't die. Goliath can't kill him. He's got a word or God would be a liar if he died. So he looked at his brother and said, don't I have a word? I don't really care what you do with this. But I got a word. I got a word that I'm going to live to see all the promises of God made to Antioch come to pass. I've got a word. I got a word. I got a word. I live that word every day. I breathe that word every day. I've got a word. And whatever place Antioch has and all of that, whatever that is, praise God, that's his business, not mine. I'm just going to... This was the other thing he said with that. He said, you're going to live to see all the promises of God I've made to Antioch come to pass. They're just not going to happen through you. Well, I thought that was a pretty negative thing at the time. I didn't understand he had something else in mind for me. Whatever that is, I'll let you figure out what that is. It's not my problem. I just go and flow. Praise God. I don't need a label. But I got a place. And I got a promise I'm going to live, so I just keep watching Antioch, see how it's doing. Hadn't happened yet. Going to. Everything in me knows it's going to. I've said this. I love saying this. Excuse me. He, when he gives me permission to say it, I love saying this. There's going to be a door, a, a day, when we're going to walk out of our carpenter shop of anonymity, when the world doesn't have a clue who we are, and we're going to close that door for the last time and lock it, and then we're going to get baptized afresh and anew not only with the Holy Ghost and fire, but with a revelation that will pull the cover off of who the church is to the world. And all of this mystery about what's true and what's not, and who's what and who's not, all of that's going to be eliminated because God is going to make it clear who his people are. I've really started on the subject of harvesting here, and I don't know how much I'm going to get it done of it we'll see here as the lord allows but i'll tell you this okay <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> Ooh, praise god <laughs> hallelujah <laughs> uh, 
Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. See, the whole time I'm talking to you, there's a conversation going on. I'm not doing this because I'm crazy. I'm I'm saying there's a two-way conversation. I'll do it like this. There's a two-way conversation. I'm talking to you, but back here, there's this two-way conversation going on, you see. We're having this talk. <laughs> he's saying stuff, and I'm asking him questions, and he's talking back and whatever. And I'm talking to you, so I got these two things going on all at one time. See? <laughs> and sometimes he's really funny. He really is. It's, it just blows my mind when I find out how much of a sense of humor he's got. Because some people think he's this austere. I mean, you watch a brand new horse climb up on its legs and wobble around and you know God's got a sense of humor. He does. I mean, really. <laughs> anyway. Okay, all right, good enough. Not a problem. Joel 3.13 says, Put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. So there are two types of harvests. There's the harvest of those that are his, and there's going to be a harvest for those that aren't. Revelation 14, 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then finally, Jeremiah fifty sixteen. Cut off the sore from Babylon, and him that handleth the sickle in the time of harvest. For fear of the oppressing sword, they shall turn every one of his to his people, they shall flee every one to his own land. You cannot separate the sickle from the harvest. What is the sickle? John chapter 16 verse 7 says this, and I'll read several verses. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that if I, that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, which was on the day of Pentecost, he will reprove, and the word there in the Greek is convict, the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So conviction is not a PowerPoint presentation. It's a work of the Spirit. It's not a scary video. It's a work of the Spirit. 
I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not and one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus the secrets of his heart made, thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now, I have to be really, really, really brutally honest with you. I don't remember the time I've been anywhere that happened here or any place else. I don't remember the time that I've personally seen somebody as a response to the working of the Spirit just fall down on their face and cry out for mercy and repentance and confess that their action was a response to the Spirit of God. I'm not saying that being critical. I'm not. I'm so challenged by that. I am so desperately challenged by that. And then I read... In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter concludes his gospel message. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were cut in their heart. They were cut. They were convicted in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? We preach Acts 2.38 to people who haven't yet been convicted of their sins. We've made Acts 2.38 the gospel. It is not the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38 is what a person does after they have heard the gospel and believe the gospel in order to receive the benefits and the work of God as a result of the gospel. It's not the gospel. We preach Acts 2.38 to people we have never preached the gospel to. So they don't have any clue why they're being told to repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost because we don't preach death by repentance and burial by water and resurrection. We just preach Acts 2.38. And it's not the gospel. And we make converts to our churches. 
And we struggle to pastor them because they never came under conviction. Now, isn't that amazing that good news could produce such conviction? Good news produces such conviction. Hallelujah. There's other ways that conviction occurred. How many days did Jesus walk past the lame man at the gate, beautiful, and never acknowledged he was there? Did that mean Jesus didn't care? Does that mean he didn't care? He didn't care? Is that what he means? No, it wasn't time. The man had been laid at that gate every day of his life, essentially, because he'd been born lame, and he, and he sat there begging every day. And Jesus went in and out of the temple and never even acknowledged him that we have any record of. But there was a day when it was time. For everything is in the timing of the kingdom. Everything in the kingdom has a timing. Everything has a timing. And that timing serves God's purpose, the purpose of the kingdom. It all has a timing. Every good thing, every bad thing, all has a timing. And it all serves the purpose of the kingdom. And those that can't trust the Father, because they're not surrendered to the Father, they, they miss this whole timing thing. And they think they, that their faith has a right to dictate timing. There are people backslidden today on their way to hell because we prayed for them to be healed and we badgered God till he did it and if we'd have just heard from God and committed them to God they would have passed from this life saved but we badgered God we threw his word in his face we gave him no choice it was our will for them to be healed And so he finally gave us our will. And they lived and went to hell when they died. He would have taken them while they were saved. He would have taken Hezekiah while he was probably the second greatest king in the history of Israel. But Hezekiah didn't want to die when God said it was time. So God gave him 15 years, 15 years enough to make everything Hezekiah had done good up to that point completely null and void. And he became the king that surrendered Israel into slavery in Babylon. That is his legacy, not the legacy of Pershing Israel of idolatry, including the brazen serpent that they'd been burning incense to all those years. There's a timing. There's a timing in everything. 
And those that are surrendered to the will of God and trust the Father are at peace with the timing. They're not frustrated by the timing. They're at peace with the timing. But those that think they have a right to tell God what to do, oh, they meant well. They really did in in the deeper life conferences. I went to another one in the fall of 74 in Sunbury, Pennsylvania, and I heard it again. You need to go home and make something happen. You need to go home and make something happen. Don't just sit around and wait for, just go home and make something happen. Okay, I'm going to go home and make something happen. I'm going to tell God, you listen up. I don't know what you've been doing, but it's about to happen here right now because I say so. Listen up, God. And you know how many guys got discouraged because they couldn't make happen? And how many went to hell because they did? And it perverted their whole understanding? There are men today who were at one point great men of God who are spiritual and natural perverts, heretics, because they went and made stuff happen their way. Oh, praise God. So, these two men, they're about to go in the gate. And today's different. They may not know it's different, but they're about to find out it's different. They've seen this man too. They've been with Jesus. How many years of, how many times have they walked through that gate seen him sitting there? They may have even given him money. You know how you do just here. You need to pay attention to it here. But today, it sounded different in their ears. It came to them differently. Alms, alms. And something turned over in Peter and rose up and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man stood and leaped and was whole. And for the first time in his life went into the temple leaping and dancing because as a lame man, the law would not allow him in the temple. But for the first time in his life, he's now whole and he can go into the temple and everybody knew him and everybody knew the man who couldn't come in because he's lame is now inside. He's now been given access because he's now whole And 5,000 men, not counting women and children, get saved because of one miracle outside the doors of a church. Outside the doors of the temple. One miracle that happened outside the doors of the temple. One miracle. Resulted in 5,000 men and women and children saved because that miracle was done outside of church. 
I don't have this in my notes, probably should have been, but the Lord's taking care of that. Uh, Romans 15. I'll give you a verse here in a minute. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit. Verse 14, Romans 14, 14, or 15, 14, excuse me, 15, 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have more, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. To make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. To make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Adjective, there's an adverb, no, it's an adverb. The adverb fully qualifies preached. It implies it's possible to preach without fully preaching. What is a gospel that's not fully preached? One in word only. With no confirmation. But Paul said, I fully preached the gospel. How? Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem round about in Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest, it, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written to whom he, is, he was not spoken of they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. That was Paul's creed right there. I want to go places nobody else has been. Now, this is what he had to say in more detail about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. I'll just read it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you. Now, he wrote that to the Romans. Here he's writing to the Corinthians. And I, brethren, when I came to you, it came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. What, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about the place that by the grace of God, he positioned himself in God so that he wouldn't take any credit. He prayed until he saw that he was just an earthen vessel. He was just a conduit. And nothing happening through him was anybody's credit but God. It didn't mean he was feeble and trembling or he had a bad back or he was a hunchback like some. I'm trying to find the word that's polite enough. People say. I was with you in fear, weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words or eloquent words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I got a friend who's pretty well-known preacher. He preached a whole lot of places I've never preached. He preached his very first revival as a full-time evangelist for us over in Eastport in a warehouse, 1973. Known him a long time. And he said to me one day on the phone, he said, Brother Wright, you know what me and my buddies think of you when we think of you? And I said, Brother, called his name, said, No, I have no idea. He said, we think of you as an anointed brain. And I got off the phone as quick as I could and went and found me a place to pray and repent because I obviously had done or said something that allowed them to think that this was coming out of my intellect instead of just flowing from God and not being able to take any credit for it. And I am so, so. (laughs) I've had people come up and say, Brother Wright, I just want you to know I'm one of your disciples. I go, oh, God, have mercy. Jesus, I didn't say that. I didn't try to make that happen. Would you please get their thoughts right and their focus right? You've let me die, and I'm hid with Christ and God. They can't be my disciples. I had an experience this summer <laughs> I never had before. I preached in Brother Jerry Williams' church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. And I'd never been there. I didn't know those people there. I think the only person I had, we might have been other than Brother Williams, I don't know if there was anyone I actually knew personally. And I'm standing in that pulpit, and it's, I get to, I'm getting this weird feeling. It's really strange I'm going what is this what is this and then it just dawned on me I'm no stranger to these people in their minds they all know me or they think they do I'm going what am I supposed to do with this and I got to be honest with you It took me just a little while to understand what my response to that was supposed to be. That your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Please, I'm trying to go to heaven. Please don't give me credit for what's... 
I can't take the credit for. Please, please get your understanding correct. Please. I'm trying to go to heaven here. I don't even need the temptation of that. And yet, I am so grieved to say that I have friends, people I love, people I've prayed for, people that have ministered to me, even some that I've ministered to, places I've preached. It's all about the preacher. There was a man among us many years ago he was one of the greatest preachers in the UPC ever I played trumpets with him together on his grandfather's platform at age 12 I got the Holy Ghost in the altar of that church he was my friend I preached this church somewhere down south. And if I would have really had the guts to do what I should have done when I stood, I'd been feeling this thing, and I'm thinking, no, this can't be the case. This can't be the case. I know this man. He wouldn't let this be like this. I thought I knew the man. And I got to the pulpit And because my name and face wasn't his name and face, they had no interest in hearing anything I said. My first thought was to take it personal, and then I realized, no, this has nothing to do with me. They are just so convinced their pastor is the only one that can preach. They don't like it when he has anybody come and preach. Well, the sad thing is, when he left his wife a few years later, which because I'd spent time with them, I'd really prayed for them because it was painful to be with them because it was not good. But his public persona was very different than that. And when he left his wife, within 30 days, seven more men in that church left their wives because they were that much his followers and not Jesus' followers. Oh, God have mercy. God have mercy. God have mercy. There's a world going to hell. There's seven and a half billion people most of whom have never even heard the name Jesus they don't know anything about a cross they don't know anything about the blood they don't know anything about all this and what's so amazing is every religion to what little I've studied 
Every one of the world's major religions believes there's a hell. So they know there's a hell. Some of them believe there's a paradise and some of them believe you can work through different levels every time you die and get reincarnated. But if that doesn't work for you, then you, in every one of those religions, you're going to hell. So they don't know about the creator. They don't know about it, his name. They don't know about his blood. They don't know about his sacrifice. But they know where they're going to go. And the people with the knowledge of that are content to have church and practice personality cults because we actually have the audacity to make the statement that you win people to yourself and then win them to God. I would sure love to see even one verse that remotely preaches such heresy as that. You talk about absolute trash, garbage lie. If I am dead and my life is hid with Christ in God, where is the me to win them to? You want to know how to harvest? The day of Pentecost was supernatural. The lame man being healed outside the church was supernatural. Samaria was opened up by preaching the gospel and doing miracles before anybody ever got the Holy Ghost. An angel spoke to Cornelius who sent for Peter and then there was a miraculous outpouring that interrupted which is a miracle interrupted a preacher's message so God could give the Holy Ghost the biggest tormentor of the church was supernaturally knocked off his horse by a light and a voice on the road to Damascus and he was blind and so he not only heard a voice and saw a light but he was blind and he, he didn't know it was only going to be three days he was blind and so he was doubly convinced when the man he was told go to go see prayed for him and he got his sight back so he had miracle confirmed by miracle and you can go on with all of the supernatural confirmations but it's summed up in this verse. Mark 16, 20. And they went everywhere. They went and preached everywhere. And the Lord went with them. And confirmed the word. With signs following. And confirming the word. With signs following. Oh, I'm about to really, 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 really cross the line here. There are men in this room that I'm accountable to.
I charge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If what I'm about to say is absolutely not 100% the truth, I challenge you and charge you to get out of your seat, come take this mic and correct this for the sake of these souls. We have perverted gifts into gift ministries. And we're doing it so far. There is. I can't find any place in the Bible that even remotely resembles what we do. And we've elevated the gift and the men with them above everything. And we have them come and expect them to perform. And the sad thing is, they do. And they're perverting their own soul. I didn't know Brother Barnes well, but I thank God I had some contact with him. I can't. T.W. Barnes would go someplace. He wouldn't do one thing more than what God said, no matter what anybody's expectations were. Not one thing. Am I right? Not one thing. Nobody pressured him to performing. Nobody. I was privileged to have Billy Cole and I don't mean I don't say that disrespectfully I'll say it properly Apostle Billy Cole come to this church and minister to me and this church several times in the 70s and help help put us in the right direction because I was going up in flames of frustration seeking for what I didn't know how to get But you didn't tell Billy Cole you're expecting him to perform. Because you wouldn't want what was going to happen. Because, buddy, he didn't care what your name was. He'd rebuke you in front of God and everybody. And there's other great men of God powerfully called, powerfully gifted. But they weren't prostitutes. I'm not a prostitute. You can't pay me to do this. This is not for sale. It doesn't belong to me to sell. I'm really getting out here now. God, I can't believe this. I had a man come to me the other day. He said, a man gave me this coin and said, if I carried it, I'd be blessed. He said, I've been blessed. What do you think? I said, oh, man, I wish you hadn't asked me that. 
I'm happy you've been blessed. But if you think that has anything to do with a coin you're carrying around in your pocket or your wallet, God have mercy. And most of you, thankfully, wouldn't have no clue who I'm talking about. But there's somebody out there listening that knows and they'll tell him. And I don't really know him. I just know. I don't have book for that. I'm not endorsing what I don't have book for. Oh, well, Paul had handkerchiefs. He passed out handkerchiefs. And they were for a supernatural purpose, not a natural. Because years ago, when I was complaining to God about all the miracles and the charismatic movement back in the 70s, Hey, did you you know how many hours it is to get to Catherine Kuhlman's temple in Pittsburgh? I mean, Catherine Kuhlman. And I'm talking about her because she's dead. Let me tell you what, friend. They evermore had miracles. And here we are struggling to get headaches healed. And I don't know what's going on. And I'm complaining to God. What is up with this? Either we're your people or we're not. What is this? And he said to me, it's not the miraculous. It's divination. Because the things they heal are things that are caused by spirits of infirmity. And so if you come up with a cancer, and there's a spirit of cancer born against your body, Somebody else is sitting out there and they've got diabetes and a spirit of affliction or infirmity of diabetes. What they do is they switch these spirits and then your cancer symptoms go away and your diabetes spirits symptoms go away and you pronounce yourself healed. But it's a matter of weeks or months or maybe years till that new spirit begins to manifest itself organically in you. It's all charlatry he said this is and then we had a man we had a man in the 80s claimed to be apostolic he wasn't didn't have a card to UPC but that wasn't a problem to me but I didn't feel right about him I just didn't feel right but my really good friend that I trusted so very much said you need to have this guy And I looked at my friend and said, I'm going to have him on one reason. You said I should have him. And I trust you. And he came here. And for three nights, he prophesied. And I checked the prophecies. They were true. And he prayed for people. And miracles happened. And they really happened. But every evening when he was through with his performance, there was no gospel message preached. There was nobody got saved. It was a commercial to sell his CDs and his records. And that happened every night. And there were notable miracles, but there were no salvations. And the miraculous is supposed to confirm the word for salvation. 
And the Lord said to me, I said, what is up with this? He said, learn this and learn this well. You test the miraculous by what it leads to. True miracles from me and a true ministry from me always turns people to the message and people get saved. But charlatry uses my giftings and my name and it always turns people to the money. It always turns people to giving and money for the purpose of blessing. Now, if you've believed everything I've done here and said here tonight, if you will sow into this ministry, you will be blessed. You're going, this isn't about freely receiving so you can freely give. This is about freely giving so you can freely receive. You see the perversity? Yeah. Instead of freely receiving so you can freely give, it's about freely giving so you can freely receive. That's perversion. Do I believe God blesses giving? Yes! But that's not the message. And I have friends who are men of God, great men of God, who have a true gift of leading people to give. But when you pay close attention to what they're asking you to give to, none of it profits them. None of it profits them. They have a ministry of faith for leading people to give. One of those men is, men is Mark Morgan. He's the apostle of God. He has a great, great gifting of faith for leading people to give. But I've never heard him receive an offering that benefits him. It's always the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. I sat in that general conference foreign mission service when Anthony Mangan preached and four million dollars was given. And none of it went to Anthony Mangan. I'm all for giving. But I'm not for using the miraculous or the message to profit me. And men that do. It's perversion. It's prostitution. When you go preach somewhere for a check, and that's your first priority for going, well, I'm an evangelist and I've got a family to feed. I've had men I love and respect say that to me, and they didn't really. They wished they hadn't said it to me because I didn't keep my mouth shut. What are you doing? If you can't trust God to feed your family and you're out here doing this, 
traveling, working for him, you need to find some place. You need to get a job or you need to find a church. But the problem is if you took the church just because it was a steady income, it would be no difference than what you're doing right now. There's coming a day when we get the revelation that what we have is not our own and that we don't tell God what we're going to give. We just want to know what check he's cashing this week because all we are is a bank and we own nothing that's in this bank. And he lets us use it like any bank while it's on deposit. But he has a right to write a check and make a withdrawal of funds present any time he chooses. And it's not my right to say, I can't cash this check. And that's not just about money. That's about time. That's about your calendar. The book tells me to be a good husband. The book tells me to be a good parent. And I'm assuming that means I'm supposed to be a good grandparent. The book tells me all of that. I'm, I'm expected to do all that. But he has a right to say, right now my kingdom is the priority over your wife, your kids, your grandkids. He has a right to do that. I was present for the birth of every one of my grandchildren except one, the last one. The Lord was sending me to Arkansas. There, I had meetings all over that state. And I felt in the Holy Ghost every one of those was the will of God. And I talked to my son and his wife before I left. And I said, now, I know you're not due. And, and I'm just needing to check with you here. Is this okay if I go? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I hadn't been in Arkansas two days. She went into early labor. Well, my wife and everybody, I don't mean this, I'm not being critical, because it was God testing me. I knew, and it's none of your business how I knew this, but I knew this was the last grandchild I was going to have. He's number omega, number seven. And uh, I was there for the first six. I really wanted to be there for that one. But the Lord was testing me. And oh, you talk about dying. There was a couple of days there whenever I was alone, I was weeping. Because I wasn't there for his birth. But I obeyed God. And he confirmed in every one of those places I was that I was supposed to be there. had another situation where there was a very, very close family member who was really in, it was not a good. They were in a really difficult spot. And I was scheduled to go do a leadership meeting in Yalta, uh, Ukraine for the Commonwealth of Independent States as it used to be the USSR. 
and all these leaders were coming and 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 I, my I wanted to stay home and be there and shepherd this situation through because I love this family member and had great hopes for their ministry. And I I just was, I didn't know what was going to happen if I left. And the Lord said, is he mine or yours? He's yours. Then you get on that airplane. And you leave me to do my job. And you go do what I said. Okay. Okay. There were days of weeping on that trip too. But the Lord was faithful. He did his job. In fact, quite frankly, if I would be really brutally honest with myself, he probably did his job better with me out of the picture. Because my sense of urgency was so great that I caught myself at times pressing the situation when the Lord didn't tell me to press it. Because I was so desperate to not see this turn out like it looked like it was going. So he just removed me from the picture so he could take care of it his way. His way. There was a day I called home and I said, how's it going? My wife says, we can't find him. We don't know where he is. Won't he answer his, no, he won't answer his phone. We have no clue where he is. Okay. So you hang up the phone and you do all the only thing you can do. I'm here because you told me to come. I'm here because you said you got this and I'm supposed to leave this alone. Now, I did what you said and now I believe you're going to do what you said. And nobody else knows where he is, but you do. Now, what are you going to do about it? It was many hours later, but my wife called. She said, he's home. I knew what was going on. I knew the devil was trying to destroy the plan of God. I knew the devil was afraid of what was going to happen in the future. I knew it. The devil was taking him out at his weakest because God had plans. There was a word, many words. I don't even know why I'm telling this. I'm standing here in the back of my mind saying, God, what in the world does this have to do with all of this? Why am I telling this? What, what is this all about? I don't know what it's all about. Oh, yes, I do. This is the beginning. 
of that spirit of travail that's going to come on us tonight. That we're going to travail. Babe's going to be born. My
I thought I was finished. I am. Thus saith the Lord. Until you let the working of my conviction and repentance work in you to break up the fallow ground of your heart. I cannot reign upon the fallow ground of this world that it might be broken up. Until you allow my dominion and authority to give you victory, the principalities and powers, wicked rulers of this world, I cannot use you to exercise my dominion over them. Until you receive the rhema, the seed of faith, you cannot sow the rhema, the seed of faith. Until your heart is cut in travail, broken in travail, I cannot use you to bring brokenness and travail conviction upon this world you cannot give what you do not first receive my people oh how I am waiting for you to receive what I am doing in you desire to do so that I can then be able to do the same through you as my plan has dictated yea I say this unto you my children my church, my body, I say this unto you. Will you not give yourself to me? Will you not submit yourself to me? Will you not allow me to take you through my process so I can use you to lead the process that I'm about to exercise upon this world to reap the harvest that I foreordained before the foundation of the world, that I might be glorified on a level that I have never been glorified before in all of the history of man. And I have chosen you to do this in your generation. Yea, I present you with this opportunity. What will you do with it? I am waiting. You are not waiting on me, saith the Lord. I am waiting on you.